Today's episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible is a seller and producer of spoken audio entertainment, information, and educational programming on the internet. Audible sells digital audiobooks, radio and TV programs, and audio versions of magazines and newspapers. To start using Audible today, please visit their website at www.audible.com. That's www.audible.com. Welcome to another episode of Taking You to the Top. In this podcast, Rami spends time speaking with founders and CEOs from across the globe and asks them specific questions to learn exactly how they launched their businesses. Before we get started with today's guest, please follow Rami's Instagram account and subscribe to his YouTube channel so you don't miss any upcoming episodes. If you'd like to watch previous episodes, simply click on Rami's IGTV section or visit the YouTube channel to watch those episodes. If you'd like to get more information and analytics about each guest, simply click on the website link in Rami's bio. Now, let me spend a moment to introduce today's guest before Rami gets started. Today's guest is the CEO of Floatpack. Floatpack offer technologies to a diverse range of pioneering ideas and products. They solve a host of modern industrial problems across land, sea and air in an original, renewable, and eco-friendly way. Join Rami in welcoming him to the show. If you have any questions for our guest today, please leave them in the comments section below. That being said, we hope you enjoy today's episode. Without further ado, are you ready to take it to the top? All right, Gavin, thank you so much for joining me today. It's episode number seven of Taking You to the Top. Welcome to the show. Thank you for having me, Rami. It's uh, highly appreciated to invite me onto your, uh, your show, and uh, I'm looking forward to our conversation. Absolutely. Um, if you could, to, to start off, if you could introduce yourself and maybe take us back to the beginning, where you're from, what your journey was, that led you to becoming the CEO of Floatpack. Okay, so uh, my name is Gavin Hodgins, uh, as you mentioned, CEO of Floatpack. Uh, I started my professional career out of uh, undergraduate uh, study here in Australia. Um, I'm based out of Melbourne. At that time, I was living in uh, I was living in Sydney. Left um, left my high school study a little bit unsure what I wanted to do so uh, thought I'd become a teacher um, given that it, it made sense to have a, 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 a I guess a, a trick of the trade uh, in, ca in case I couldn't find anything else to do. Um, got three years into that study and uh, not having been at high school for, for three years went back to high school to do a placement of being a teacher and realized that there was no way known I was going to go back into a high school or, or primary school environment so um, decided to leave teaching at that stage um, and uh, I'd had some people uh, I went back to I went back to high school on on, uh, on teacher placement realized that uh, going into the school system was not something that I necessarily wanted to do at uh, that age of my life so I uh, finished my undergraduate studies and had had some people who'd mentioned to me that they thought I had a natural affliction towards sales and marketing um, and as a result ended up working through some sales and marketing roles in photography, which I had, uh, which I uh, had had done as my uh, undergraduate study at university, um, then into working for a sporting company, uh, and then really got involved for a little while in a healthcare company, selling consumables and dental equipment and all those sorts of things. And 
what that taught me was uh, these guys were very, very high-powered salespeople. Um, and it really opened my eyes to a different level of sales and marketing in particular that I hadn't experienced before. So uh, I was based in Sydney, uh, had an opportunity to come back to float pack and come back to Melbourne and be close to the family and things and took that opportunity in, in 2003. Uh, I started with the business uh, working on the factory floor. So uh, the idea was to come down and do sales and marketing, but in the particular part of the business that I was being employed for, uh, I needed to spend some time to understand the production processes and the different types of plastics we use and just really try and get my head around how things work. Uh, okay. So I came down and joined the factory for uh, probably uh, sometime, probably three, three to three to four years, and then moved move, moved out of the factory situation into sales and marketing. Um, that was sort of mid two thousand and would have been mid two thousand eight, uh, okay. and then since then, since then up to twenty twenty, moved through sales and marketing manager into um, operations manager, general manager, and then became CEO of Floatpack about uh, oh, 18, 18 months ago or so now. So, um, uh, yeah, so that, that, that's brought me to where I am where I am today and what we're looking at. Uh, business has been through uh, a lot of different iterations uh, in that it's got, its, it's got flexibility to be able to, be able to handle those iterations. Right. Um, and as a small to medium enterprise in Australia, we continue to uh, continue to grow the business and obviously um, uh, look at different things to be able to do during issues around coronavirus and things like that as well. Uh, Gavin, if you don't mind, would, would you advise anyone listening? I mean, if they were thinking to join a company, uh, do you advise that starting from the bottom of the ladder all the way to the top of the ladder. I mean, is that what you would have done or did it just happen to be that way as part of your journey? Look, I think, I think in my journey, it's probably that it's happened to be that way. I mean, it's, I, I, it's got a lot to do with age. I mean, uh, I okay. think now if I was to join Floatpack, I probably wouldn't want to spend three and a half years working on the factory floor. Okay. Um, but what it did was uh, give me a, a, a confidence in understanding uh, how plastics work, how, how the different types of um, fabrication work that we do. Um, right. And you and I hadn't had a lot, I hadn't had much experience in manufacturing before. So it did open my eyes to the potential for manufacturing. So sure. I think it's definitely, it's definitely sort of written the path of my journey. Um, but then at the same time, uh, as I said, I mean, when you, if you're coming into a business in your sort of early to mid to late forties or early fifties, um, you've probably got a lot of track history there that gives you a different skill set for the business that the business can utilize. So it's really going to come down to each person's journey. I, I thoroughly enjoyed it. Um, in hindsight, I probably spent a little bit too much time in the factory, but it was also that we were quite busy. So um, getting, get, getting to learn how to make more different things and um, basically being able to uh, have the confidence to be able to handle every part of the, uh, fabrication side of the business has also meant that even though now 18 years later I don't spend a lot of time on the factory floor um, I have the skill set and the knowledge to be able to still look at how things get made how, how, how do we improve processes train people um, and be able to have that um, uh, that knowledge and, and, and that skill set to be able to look at how we take the company forward sure and I think I mean it, it would help your decision making much much more 
Absolutely. Yes. Great. Okay. So if we could get into some details about the company, if you could tell us what Floatpack does, what you're trying to achieve or what's the main goal. With okay. Floatpack. So, uh, the, the, the Floatpack's business actually started back in the very early 1980s. Uh, it manufactured uh, inflatable uh, lifting bags and salvage devices for the marine industry. Uh, it originally started making a very specialised lift bag for the Australian Navy, which is a contract that we still have uh, today, uh, almost 40 years later. And off the back of off off the back of that creation, uh, the business then started looking at other inflatables. Uh, it helped develop the worldwide industry for what's called a flexible tank, uh, which is a pillow tank or a bladder or however you want to pronounce that. Everything sure. at that stage was basically um, aimed towards the, the maritime industry. Um, and then in the mid-1990s, the company was approached by a client. I'm, I've never been able to find out exactly who it is, but it was uh, enlightened to the opportunity with regards to live fish transport. So we were asked to get involved in live fish transport for actually making the transportation tank for the live right. fish. Um, but what became apparent was that there was a very big gap in the industry where everybody who was transporting live fish was using a, uh, a battery operated pump. And okay. whilst that meant they were able to ship decent volumes of commercial, at commercial levels of, um, of seafood transport out of Australia, it also meant that they had very high mortalities of say 20 to 25%, quite low payloads. And there became an opportunity to look at how to move that industry forward by going from an air pump to using an oxygen cylinder. So the owner of our, the owner of our business, a guy called John Curtin, uh, had some contacts in the aviation industry and went and spoke to them. And, and, and basically what became apparent was laws around air freight and things meant that... Um, to be able to move an oxygen cylinder, which is rated as dangerous goods, you right. need is you, you need you need what is all what what has always been called and what will probably always be called a special provision. And there right. was no special there was no special provision for this aquatic animal transport using oxygen cylinders. Um, it didn't exist. So uh, we then spent Flightpack then spent probably two and a half three years developing a. Uh, an oxygen regulator uh, that would satisfy all of the airline requirements. It got involved with the International Air Transport Authority and uh, ICAO, who are run by the United Nations, and basically worked for about three years to have a special provision written that would allow a transportation bin to be put on an aircraft with an oxygen cylinder to transport commercial fish overseas using oxygen. And so what that meant was there was already a fairly well-established live fish transport business, uh, live fish transport industry out of the northern part of our country in Queensland. So off the Great Barrier Reef, uh, right. we probably have the best resource of um, uh, coral trout in the world. Uh, so uh, those guys were already sending with air bins. What Floatpack under its fish pack moniker was able to do was to come in and replace the air bin aspect of that, uh, of that transportation system with the oxygen system. And okay. so what then happened to that industry was it went from a 20% mortality where when you're paying, when you're selling fish at say 50 or 60 or 70 or 80 US dollars, actually, it doesn't really matter what you're selling it at, but especially high end value fish, like what, like what the Australian guys were selling, right. they were able to go from 20% mortality to virtually zero. 
And wow. off the back off the back of that, that 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 industry was then able to grow because they were able to charge a they were able to charge a better price for their product. They obviously knew that not as many fish were going to die. It became far more sustainable, and so Fishpack was born. And 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 realistically, Fishpack has then spread its wings in that. In Australia, we deal mainly in the coral trout industry and the abalone industry. Uh, the coral trout industry is basically 100% fish pack. Any, anyone uh, uh, coral trout in Australia uh, uses the fish pack system. Uh, we then expanded into Indonesia. So uh, the, biggest, uh, the biggest live fish transport company uh, in Indonesia uses our system to transport all their fish into Hong Kong. Uh, it then okay. went into the Maldives, and it's it's basically um, uh, it's basically spread its wings from off the back of that going on now twenty years, and uh, very proudly we have a, an impeccable safety record. We've done uh, in excess of two hundred and fifty thousand shipments of of live fish using our system. Uh, there's never been a there's never been a safety issue. There's never been a reported incident, um, and I've always put that down to the fact that. Uh, the business understood very early on the importance of safety. I mean, obviously, what, uh, wh whatever we're shipping in a, in a bin with seafood is important, but it's not as important as the plane and, and when you're on passenger craft, uh, the, exactly. the, the people on the plane. So, so it's, always been very, uh, it's, it's always been very specific around safety. But then also, because Floatpack started basically um, manufacturing product for the Australian Navy as a defence force, every yeah. product that we make um, in some way, shape or form, carry some sort of defense specification because it's just what we're used to making. So uh, a lot of the things we do, we always talk about how a lot of the things we do are probably over-engineered, but the history of the business really relies on that fact that um, we've got a very strong engineering background. Uh, everything's done to the nth degree to make sure it's done correctly. And in the fish pack world, that, 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 that safety record and, and, and that ongoing record obviously continues to then speak for itself as we go through. So that took us through, uh, that takes fish packs through right now to where we are today. We continue to look at different ways of um, uh, using a system, new designs, obviously in a, in a coronavirus world where there's not a lot of planes that are moving around the, around the planet, we've had uh, some, some serious issues to deal with in the last uh, four to five months. Um, so we're now adapting the business to more of a road freight model. Um, so the system we have is designed for air freight, but it fits very, very well on a truck. So it can be adapted to road freight quite well. So we're, so, so we're looking at that quite closely. And then where we're really focused now is about five years ago, um, we were introduced to the world of floating solar. So because we manufacture inflatables, um, we had a company here in- to put uh, solar panels on the inflatables, for sure. That's exactly right. And we went through that process a fairly long way. Um, and it worked, the inflatable side worked really well. But I mean, when we make an inflatable to go and pick up a boat, we're picking up a lot of weight per cubic metre. So we, we make very, very heavy industrious product um, that uh, will be used for a variety of reasons uh, with a lot of weight. When we went and tried to apply it the other way where a solar panel weighs, say, 15 kilos per square metre, it's not a lot of weight. Um, we actually ran into problems with getting the bags to operate in, di in different temperatures and atmospheric pressure changes became problematic and things like that. But at the same time, with all this work we did in the fish pack business with transportation bins in 2010, 2011, I sat with my engineers and said, well, hang on, if we can't use inflatables 
we're already molding all these other products out of into rigid plastic. Is there a way we could look at a rigid plastic mechanism and use what we've learnt in how we designed our fish pack product and try and, as I like to say, Frankenstein that into something we could use for floating solar. And right. so it, it, it's really just, it, it's become a culmination of what all our intellectual property that Floatpack has is. Um, and we've now got a system that we've designed, which is the only system that's made in Australia. Um, there's very, very good quality product out there uh, that's coming from overseas. Our, our system is very, very vastly different to the other designs. So we've always sort of walked to the beat of our own drum. We've gone and designed something that is a maritime design product first and foremost rather than just something that'll float that'll have a solar panel on it um so we're trying to address all the engineering issues that um exist in the industry with some of these other designs and other concepts about how you put solar panels out on water um and i mean when we got into that when we started looking at that industry in 2015 there was about 10 or 15 megawatts of floating solar installed predominantly in asian countries um, where land was not very readily available and they started looking at water as an asset to put solar panels over. Sure. Uh, in, 20, in 2020 now, that market is worth uh, 2.5 gigawatts. So uh, for, you, for, for, for listeners and things who are not in the, in the energy space, there's 1,000 megawatts in a gigawatt. So there's been a, a very large exponential growth in five years. Right. Uh, market forecasts are that that'll probably hit uh, 10 to 15 gigawatts in the next three or four years. So it's definitely on a very, uh, it's got an exponential scale that it's dealing with at the moment. And in Australia, where we're a very strong renewables country, uh, I mean, pound for pound, Australia has the best sun resource for renewable, for solar in particular in the world. Uh, sure. Floating solar hasn't been something that's been taken on in a big way for a variety of reasons. First and foremost, we're not necessarily very land poor. Obviously, we've got a lot of land where no one lives because it's, uh, it's, uh, it's not in habitat at the moment. Um, so uh, we're, we're then looking at other ways that floating solar becomes uh, advantageous for industry, in particular in countries where you've got severe droughts, where Australia has, has experienced severe drought now for the last 20 years in particular. Um, floating solar also then helps with uh, evaporation protection to stop a water to stop water evaporating. So it assists with water security and water scarcity and and all. And so we're we're going through and looking at the sort of uh, the whole picture as to what floating solar can offer. And we're also getting we're we're getting close to a point now where we can compete uh, at a at a dollar level with the the much larger scale. Uh, sort of large-scale utility systems you see installed on ground and, and land installations and things like that as well, which is going to be a real turning point for the business because uh, once, we, once we're able to compete at price, um, we, we can then tick the price box, which is obviously vitally important. But there's all these other environmental benefits that floating solar and our system, we think in particular, gives to the renewables energy that other, other types of renewables can't give so there's a very big upside to the to the technology right and uh this uh floating solar uh have have you only just launched it in uh in australia or have you gone to for example the middle east where sunshine is almost unlimited yeah, so uh, I mean, uh, the, the 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 first iteration of what we did three years ago was released in Australia. Um, okay. I mean, anything 
anything with flotation has basic physics and science around it, but you always want to make sure that um, it floats because if it doesn't float, you're really not going to be in business. So we spent a lot of time, we spent a lot of time making sure that what we had was working properly and also looking at installation methodologies and things and trying to figure out how we can really um, basically pump the numbers up of what we can install per day, which is going to bring the, which is going to bring the overall, the levelized cost of energy across the installation costs down. And so uh, we've actually only just recently signed uh, an agency agreement with a company based in Amman. And so they've got, they've got agency access to the entire float pack and float pack solar uh, repertoire of product. So we're talking to them. Um, There's a lot of inquiry for our product into the Southeast Asian market, particularly uh, Indonesia, Singapore, Malaysia, uh, all those types of countries where uh, the Australian-made aspect of it carries with it uh, a, a fair bit of prowess in, in, in that we've had a lot of success over the years in supplying those countries with very high-quality product. Right. Um, and so we're looking there. We're looking at the Middle East. There's a significant opportunity in North America as well. Um, so uh, the way we're looking at it is a little more holistically around uh, the benefits of water saving as well, because there's a, there's an intangible there that, as I mentioned just before, not many other forms of renewable energy can offer that intangible aspect of uh, water saving and water scarcity protection, as well as cheap green renewables. So uh, we're we're looking at that as we go, um, and, and and so the, the the format of that business will no doubt sort of uh, change a little bit in the next three to four years. Uh, and as as we continue to grow and learn more, especially in the renewable space where there's a very fast appetite to to, to increase technology, um, the product, the Flowpack Solar product will then continue to expand as we uh, as we move into into those other industries. Sure, that's great. So, um, if you don't mind, um, Floatpack, uh, as a company, do you know if it was uh, originally uh, self-funded when it was formed or capital was raised? Uh, I believe throughout its entire life, uh, it's been self-funded. So we have two majority, two majority shareholders here with a couple of other shareholders involved in the business who have basically funded it from... Uh, well, at least the time when the current owners purchased it back in 1998, somewhere around there. So it's always been self-funded um, in all its projects at the moment. We are looking at uh, we are looking at other at other financial models to um, bring floating solar, bring the float pack solar business forward. So that that company now has been separated out as its own entity from float pack. Okay. At the moment, it remains wholly owned by float pack by the current shareholders. We are going through a process with regards to capital raising and looking at debt and equity and a couple of different financial models around how to fund um, uh, large-scale floating solar installations under under PPA models and, and different financial modelling that the industry already has. So look at how we can how, how we can vertically integrate that into our own business. Um, and so we're we're going through that process uh, in a fairly large way right now, actually. Okay. Great. And uh, what's your current company team size? At the moment, we're pretty lean. So we've got, uh, let me think, between both businesses, there's off the top of my head, 11, 11 of us. 
we've spent we've spent this year like a lot of business has adapting to changes uh, because of coronavirus. So sure. um, uh, we've now developed a a COVID nineteen aspect of the business, which has gotten involved in uh, manufacturing of a hundred percent Australian made uh, cotton face masks. Uh, we've got uh, inflatable, uh, what we call an ISO tent, which is an inflatable tent for emergency structures to be built for hospitals or whatever needs to be done around, around uh, treating a, a crisis like COVID-19. And then, we've recently, and, and then we've recently signed an agreement with a company we've had a long association with in the US to bring to market in Australia and, and other countries uh, what's called a oxygen treatment hood. So in Europe, the treatment of coronavirus for patients who don't need to necessarily be intubated with a ventilator, but need something more than just a, a, an oxygen mask. Uh, right. The Europe, Europeans have always used a, a hood. Uh, a, lot, a lot of news has shown people with plastic hoods over their heads, which is effectively a diving helmet when you look at how it, when you look at how it operates. Right. Um, and, the, and these hoods allow for a higher pressure to be fit uh, to the to the patient. Um, meaning that uh, from a non-invasive ventilator situation, they don't need to necessarily be intubated. Uh, we started getting asked to look at it by a couple of companies in Australia back in February when things were getting very bad. Uh, and rather than reinvent the wheel, as I mentioned, there's an American company who we've had a long association with who developed a slightly different variant of uh, an oxygen treatment hood that uh, we started speaking to them about and were able to sign a a manufacturing licensing agreement to make the product here in Australia pretty quickly. Okay. Uh, so we've um, we've gotten fairly heavily involved with that at the moment. It's going through uh, Australian medical uh, clinical trials and things at the moment. It's about to be approved in the USA as well. So um, we're, 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 we're adapting that way as well as we go. Um, and uh, obviously ride that as we, as we go through in a perfect world, none of us would obviously have to worry about any of this, but I'm not sure that uh, it's going to be going away anytime shortly. So uh, we've, right. we've been able to adapt into those spaces pretty quickly. Some of that was definitely done from necessity. Um, sure. and, 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 and then looking at, uh, looking at how we can A, try and help, because uh, it's something that every business is going to want to do in some way, shape or form. And then B, right. look at how we, uh, how, how we deal with issues that come up within the business, uh, particularly around air freight and the lack of aircraft moving with coronavirus and the impact that's had on fishback. Um, how we can uh, how we can try and adapt business as we go to be able to 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 to, to ride those crosses times out. Very very interesting. Um, if in terms of uh, growing the company, do, do you currently use any specific strategies, uh, marketing wise? Is it like a tech savvy? Do you do a lot of um, online advertising? Yeah. Look, I, I wouldn't. I wouldn't necessarily say that a company like Floatpack is um, what I'd say tech savvy. It, it, it's more right. Floatpack's definitely more tech savvy on the manufacturing side. I, sure. I would definitely think that with our manufacturing partners here in Australia, um, we've got access to some of the best technology and 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 definitely the, the, some of the smartest people that um, would exist in any of those industries. And we've always made it very, very, uh, a very big point of the business that getting the right people around any type of project we're looking at is vitally important. Um, the three aspects to the business between the fabrication side with the 
flexible tanks and oxygen hoods and face masks and things like that. Between that and fish pack and floating solar, it's three extremely different ways to have to deal with industry. So those companies, uh, I mean, as, as I mentioned, Flowpack Solar has now been moved out by itself. But when, when, as to how it's structured outside of that, it still sits under the Flowpack umbrella. The way that those brand names as such operate and market themselves are vastly different to suit what the, what the audience is. So um, we're doing a lot of online advertising at the moment around our COVID products. Um, uh, I, my, I have a, a background also in uh, SEO uh, and digital marketing. So uh, we're very strong on the SEO side, rank very, very well across um, any keyword that I can find on, uh, in, in Australia and, and also internationally. That drives a lot of our um, uh, that drives a lot of our ongoing international growth within the business. Um, we've always been a manufacturer who has behaved a little bit more, I would suggest, like a a retailer. Uh, in that, uh, for a long time now, we've had a very strong social media presence. Uh, we generate a lot of inquiry, particularly from platforms like LinkedIn, which is obviously where you and I also met. Um, so, uh, so, so, so we're using those, uh, we do a lot of background work with regards to email marketing. So I'm, I'm, I'm a big believer and, and an avid fan of, um, something like active campaign, which, um, gives me a, a way to be able to get straight to people's inboxes and straight on their phones with updated information about what we're doing and how the business is moving. Um, and yeah, on the, uh, on, on, on the paid advertising side, we do, uh, as I said, it, it, it's basically if, if a product or part of the business demands that that's what needs to have happen by our marketing people, then that's how we move with it. So it's, it's really being able to be quite fluid in that space to be able to react to what we believe the client base is asking for and what is the most, what is the most direct ways to get to those people so that as a manufacturer, we're not having to talk through four or five different channels to get to those people, but we can talk to those people directly and therefore engage with them in a better way. Great. Uh, Gavin, if you don't mind, uh, I'd like to wrap up with the famous five. Absolutely. Let's go for it. Great. Number one, uh, what's your favorite business book? Well, I have two actually. Uh, and, and having watched your, uh, having watched your other podcasts, I realized that I'm, uh, I'm, I'm supposed to be limited to one, but I, I couldn't break the two. So I'm, I'm, I'm going to run with two. The first one is, um, uh, I've always found uh, Elon Musk uh, fascinating with how he's run his uh, his businesses over his life. Obviously, his history with PayPal and things is uh, is very well known. And then what he does now with Tesla and SpaceX and everything else. So his autobiography is a is a fascinating read. Um, I'm 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 looking at probably sitting down and I've only I've only read it in full once. Um, I'm going to sit down and read it again because any I always try and read most of these books twice in that you always miss some of the, the sort of secondary information that I, I, I then find quite almost more important than the primary information I get on the first read. I agree so with his that. Book, sure. yeah, his, he, he, his books are a wonderful autobiography and obviously not necessarily a, a business book, but I mean, with someone who's had the success that, uh, that Elon's had over the years, it's, it's well worth the read by anybody who is in any level of business. Right. And then another book, uh, an, another book, which is uh, written by an Australian author called Kate Toon, a uh, book called uh, Confessions of a Misfit Entrepreneur, uh, is, uh, is a fascinating read with some, for someone who runs a very successful business in Australia, 
uh, off the back of basically her own skill set, uh, not really looking into, I guess, what you'd call the traditional ways of running business, but listening to your intuition, understanding what your, uh, what your client base is looking for and um, really uh, picking up and running with it. Uh, it's, a, 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 it's, a, it's a spectacular road and a, and a great book. I'll definitely have to check that one out. Um, number two, is there a CEO you're following or studying? Uh, I've always been someone who has been very, very uh, interested in uh, what Richard Branson has done over his life. Um, I think anyone, probably similar to Elon Musk, but anybody who's able to achieve what he's been able to achieve in so many different industries is someone who obviously has the ability to move very quickly, uh, put a very good team around him, uh, have an excellent culture, which, which in any business these days in 2020 is probably the most important part of intellectual property that any business can, um, uh, any business can, uh, uh, can grow with. So uh, Richard's always been someone that, uh, that, that, that I've paid close attention to um, as we go. And then uh, more recently, uh, we have a, a business here in Australia called Afterpay, which, which is uh, buy now, play, uh, pay later platform. And so the, C, the CEO of Afterpay, a guy called Anthony Ison, uh, is someone who uh, I follow and, and pay attention to. Uh, I mean, Afterpay's business is a, a, a model that... Uh, uh, is, is definitely a disruptor into the financial space and, and, and the credit card industry and things like that. And paying attention more so to how they've, they've had to deal with uh, the different ways of, of how financial institutions can and can't make your business uh, successful and really right. how they've gone out and, 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 and now is a, a very, very strong Australian stock exchange list of business that's, um, that, that's on a significant growth path. Um, the, the, the afterpay story is, is a fascinating one. And, and following what Anthony's team is doing is um, is something that, uh, that that I'm really enjoying at the moment. Um, number three, what's your favorite online tool for building, growing your company? Look, I mentioned it before. Um, Active Campaign is definitely my my favorite tool. Uh, there's 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 many different things out there that we can all use these days for uh, obviously online marketing and and tracking of clients and things like that, but. Sure. Uh, I'm, a, I'm, a, I'm a firm believer in the power of, um, of email marketing. Um, it's, it's still pound for pound in my, in my belief, the best way to market to clients in that uh, you've got access directly to their inbox and, and, and probably 99% of them access directly to their phone now. Um, so we use Active Campaign. Uh, we've spent a lot of time and a fair bit of money recently automating a lot of our processes as well, which has come off the back of what we're doing particularly with coronavirus and selling face masks and different products. Mm -hmm. So what we're able to achieve now with automation in active campaign really does save us a lot of time and therefore a lot of money. Um, right. And it's one of those things active campaign now is probably like what even these days, like what Excel and, and, all, and all those types of very sophisticated programs are in that. Um, I think I'll still be learning things about active campaign in, 20 or 25 years, the same way I am about uh, something like Microsoft Excel. It's a, it's a, it's a great product and um, uh, we, we're definitely trying to, uh, to, to use it as much as we can in the, in the growth of Flowpack. Sure. Uh, number four, if you could give your 20 year old self a piece of advice, what would that be? I've thought a lot about this question. Uh, when you sent the list through to me, it was the one that jumped off the page because uh, I've often thought about that myself and, and just with people who I talk to about uh, when you get to a certain point in life about what you would have told your younger self. So 
Right. I think what I would have told myself is probably to trust my intuition a little bit more. So um, what I mean by that is uh, there's been things that I've done along the way with regards to sales and marketing that I've had a lot of people tell me wouldn't work. Um, I probably slowed down on some of those things over the time listening to those people. And and I understand why those people have said what they've said because on paper it probably wouldn't work. Um, But if I look back at what, if I look back at what we've done with float pack between myself and and my team and and, and the owner, the, the owners of the business and all those sorts of things, uh, we've achieved some pretty extraordinary things within the business that have come off the back of different ways of sales and marketing and running the company uh, that, as I said, a lot of people would say wouldn't work and, and had told me over the years wouldn't work. Um, right. And so if I, would, if I would go back, I, w- I would be saying, well, trust my intuition and trust the intuition of the people who I've got around me um, to basically go out and forge your own path rather than just trying to follow, follow other people. Agreed. And number five, how many hours of sleep do you get every night? Oh, um, look, it, it, it varies significantly. <laughs> uh, at, at, at the moment, I'd imagine like myself and, and like a lot of other CEOs and, and people, executives that I know, uh, sleep's right. a, a, a bit of a luxury that we don't all have in a coronavirus yeah. world. But I, I've always aimed for um, seven to eight hours. Uh, a lot of people always told me that that's a, it, it's a luxury, but I, I'm not someone who can really function very well with a sort of overhanging tiredness. So right. I do always aim for seven and eight. Um, I mean, sometimes it's six, sometimes it's nine. As a father of uh, two young kids as well, that's always going to be something that, uh, <laughs> that that's going to be uh, entertaining in that space. Um, but uh, yeah, se- se- seven to eight will get me through pretty well. Uh, as long as I've got a, if it's if it's been less, then uh, there's probably a few more copies consumed and and lots of stuff. But um, yeah, around seven to eight would be um, uh, will get me through the following day pretty well. Fantastic. Well, Gavin, thank you so much for giving us some of your time today. Uh, I hope to have a follow up call with you maybe a year from now to see if how far Floatpack has expanded and grown. Uh, I definitely look forward to that. Okay. Yeah, absolutely. Let's uh, let, let, let's do it. And I, uh, I, I really appreciate you uh, giving me your time and, uh, and having me on your show. My pleasure. Thank you so much, Gavin. Thank you. Take care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Today's episode is sponsored by Audible.com. Audible is a seller and producer of spoken audio entertainment, information, and educational programming on the internet. Audible sells digital audiobooks, radio and TV programs, and audio versions of magazines and newspapers. To start using Audible today, please visit their website at www.audible.com. That's www.audible.com.